Selling on Amazon Europe post-Brexit. It's a big topic, lots going on and lots to discuss. So in today's episode of the Brand Builder Show, I've invited on Piers Evely from Avask. Avask are one of the leading operators when it comes to EU compliance, expanding into Europe, and they're one of Amazon's trusted partners. So it's a privilege to have Piers on the show today to dive into these topics. So without further ado, let's jump in to this great episode. Awesome. Well, welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. And today we're talking all things EU, post-Brexit Europe. What a day to be alive. And I've got my friend Piers here from Avask, and uh, we're going to be diving into loads of juicy topics. Piers, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much, Ben. Great to be a part of the show and really looking forward to going into detail on some of the recent changes that have taken place in Europe. Definitely. It's been a bit of a crazy time, which we'll, we'll get into. Uh, before we do that, talk to us a little bit about yourself and Avask. What's your role within the company? And Because uh, Avask are uh, an Amazon partner, right? So a lot of our listeners will be Amazon sellers and probably have heard of Avask before because I feel like I get an email about you every single week from Amazon. Um, what's, your, what's your role in the company? Yeah, sure. Happy, happy to provide some context. So my name's Piers, for anyone that hasn't seen me before. Um, I work as the business development team leader of Ask. Uh, Ask are an international firm of chartered accountants and indirect tax experts. So we're, we're quite a unique company in the fact that our sole focus is centered around helping e-commerce sellers, predominantly Amazon sellers, expanding into new markets. Um, we, we do that in a number of different ways. The, the most popular way is through our VAT compliance services. So we can assist with things like VAT registrations and VAT compliance um, in sort of the most traditional marketplaces plus some others. So main markets for us are places like Europe, the US, uh, the UAE, KSA, and also Australia. Uh, we also work with a, a wider network of partners that can assist in other jurisdictions as well. And we do offer other services as well as VAT compliance. So we have an internal department of customs and international trade, which has been particularly uh, popular with, with sellers after Brexit and the customs mm. border being introduced between the UK and EU, um, but also accounting, bookkeeping, trademarks, patents, exit strategies. Um, our, our goal is really to provide uh, sort of a one-stop shop um, without meaning to sound cliche for Amazon mm. sellers to plug into uh, so that all, all considerations are covered basically. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, that's probably a good place to start when it comes to the changes in Europe, because they've been significant, right? You know, I remember the days of being able to sell in Europe so easily, you know, you could just uh, have your stock in the UK, send it to the EU, uh, easy piece of cake. But now everything has changed. So um, why don't we start there and talk about some of these changes that have been happening? What has changed for e-commerce Amazon sellers since Brexit? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, to put it simply, a lot has changed. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's been a, a whirlwind of, of as I say, sort of five years, really, with Brexit first yeah. being announced and the referendum back in 2016. But I oh, think wow. it's, it's had this, this snowball effect, really, since then. Uh, obviously, you've had Brexit with the introduction of, of then COVID. Um, also, at the same time, you know, you've got European VAT regulations changing, you've got UK VAT regulations changing, um, and also all of the customs regulations changing as well, um, as well as other things as well. It's, it's not just sort of the high level stuff. If you go a bit deeper, you see things like product compliance and uh, a requirement for sort of a responsible person, those sort of services also creeping into. So yeah. as you rightly mentioned, Ben, it's become a more and more complex um, sort of trade in terms of, of, of operating an online business. 
But I'd say for, from a tax perspective, the, the real change for Amazon sellers is that previously a, a lot of Amazon sellers used the UK as a really effective gateway into mainland Europe. And they could actually trade using Amazon in both the UK and Europe just through having a UK VAT number and a UK EORI number. Um, because mm-hmm. Amazon's fulfillment option, they, they you know, when the, the hard border wasn't in place between UK and mainland Europe, Amazon was proactively moving inventory across that border. Um, the, the real change for sellers uh, that, that were accustomed to that is that the hard border is now in place, meaning the introduction of quotas, tariffs and import declarations meaning that Amazon sort of stepped back and said, no, 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 I I don't want to play any part in this transfer of stock because of all of the documentation. Um, And quite simply, they they just don't have the resources or or the time to really manage that aspect of selling. Mm. So the the real difference is that now, if you did want to trade in both the UK and Europe, as sort of a, a fundamental rule, I'd say you'd need a UK VAT number plus at least yeah. one European VAT number. You'd also need an EORI number in the UK and a separate one for mainland Europe. And last but not least, yeah. I'd say you, you probably want to consider whether or not you need some form of customs representation when you're shipping. Uh, it may be that your yes. transport agent can provide it, but in some cases they don't. So just something to be aware of. Yeah, and is that something, you're talking about customs representation, is that something I've asked help with or...? Yeah, so Avask have an internal department of customs and international trade, uh, which actually work very closely with my team, the VAT team. So we have a lot of sellers from outside of Europe that are expanding into Europe for the first time. Um, And like you mentioned, if we rewind, say, three years, selling on Amazon in Europe was much simpler than it is now. Um, people mm-hmm. could effectively do their market research, identify that Europe is this amazing opportunity with, with uncapped potential, get a VAT number, have someone do their filings, and Amazon would take care of the rest. Um, it is no longer that simple. There are lots of different elements that need to be considered and thought about before expanding, because the last thing you want to do is expand in a way that's non-compliant, because you know, the, the authorities and the OMPs are just so vigilant now, you'd simply be shut yeah. down or you'd be facing a, a quite hefty fine in some cases. So yeah. our aim as a VAT and a customs team is to collaborate and provide uh, a bespoke solution for sellers, whereby we can help with the VAT elements of the tax, but then also the customs representation when actually importing the yeah. goods. It's uh, it's crazy what all, all of the changes. I'm quite surprised, to be honest, that Amazon, my prediction was Amazon would do a lot more to smooth this transition over for sellers because mm. they would want to make sure that the business was still there. But they really haven't. They've just kind of left it to sellers to get on with. And it's been quite quite a shift. Mm. Um, but on that, has it been as significant a shift for sellers located in other countries? Obviously, it's affected us in the UK quite a bit because of the ease we had, uh, like you said, the access. But what about US? sellers for instance is it anything changed for them i mean it's exactly the same for for us sellers really i'd say for Mm. for anyone outside of europe they're now facing the same sort of regulations uh, when entering Mm. the european marketplace so uk and us sellers are now both deemed to be what's called a a third country business if we're talking about businesses Mm. here so any overseas Mm -hmm. entity 
outside of Europe is now classed as that third country business and would need mm -hmm. to consider everything that we've just spoken about in terms of getting the two VAT numbers, the two ERI numbers, and also the customs representation. So what I'd say is that yeah. it's no easier for a UK seller to expand into Europe uh, than it is for a US seller or an Australian or an Indian um, or, or any seller. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's interesting and an interesting change because I would previously before Brexit recommended UK sellers the first point of expansion would be to Europe because it's you've got advantages there it's easy whereas now that that's completely different. Um, but, but talk to us about some of the other because expanding into Europe can seem like a big uh, daunting prospect. There, there'd be some myths around expanding into Europe, right? Some things that people maybe think to be true that aren't. Uh, have you got any that you are constantly coming up against with your clients that, you know, things that they think about selling in EU, which maybe aren't necessarily true? Give us, give us some positive stuff. Come on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd say that a lot of people, when talking about Europe, they see it as this added complexity to the business. Yeah. And in some yeah. cases, they think, uh, you know, I, I don't want that complexity. I'm happy in the UK market or I'm happy in the US market. Yeah. I, I don't really want to scale my business um, into jurisdictions that I'm not comfortable in. But what, what I would say is that although we've had all these changes and it's become a bit harder, I'd say at the same time, the opportunity and potential of the European marketplace has been growing at the same sort of trajectory. Um, mm. Europe as a whole is, is an absolutely humongous opportunity. I mean, e-commerce turnover mm. in total in Europe is around 700 billion last year. Um, mm. So when you consider that against the likes of the US, actually it's mm. a very similar size market and, and what you also benefit from in Europe is that rather than having this huge oversaturated market like the US, where there's a lot of price wars going on with lots of competition in, in Europe, it's, it's a bit more sort of fragmented in the fact that you've got these different countries with slightly different characteristics and different types mm -hmm. of, of purchases um, and different types of demographics, geographics. And what that means is that you can really have a much more diverse approach to selling um, than you can yes. do in the US. So by having your, your sort of VAT numbers in, in multiple European countries, it allows you to not only diversify in terms of country, but you can then start to even look at diversifying in terms of marketplaces. Um, a lot of people mm. will, will begin with Amazon, but actually what you seem to, to find after you've sold on Amazon for some time in Europe is that actually there's other marketplaces in each country that are almost just sure. as big as Amazon. Um, so I, I'd say there's probably 20 that I can name off the top of my head that are extremely popular once someone has reached a point on Amazon where they're doing really well and they might want to look at spreading their risk a bit further that they can mm. also then look to plug into uh, and benefit from having their products in front of more bodies and more eyes. Gotcha. Okay. So like a, similar to like an eBay or, or Walmart in the US, there's, there's other versions of those in Europe. Yeah, exactly. So in, in Germany, for example, you've got Otto, you've got RealDE, okay. you've got Zalando. Um, in France, you've got Rakuten. I mean, th these are just examples. In Netherlands, you've got mm. Bold.com. These are all huge marketplaces in their own right. And I think a lot of Amazon sellers see these marketplaces as very niche and very small. Mm. But actually, what, what they seem to find once they've done a bit of research is that the, these marketplaces are by no means small. I think in a global mm. sense, Amazon is sort of the mothership when it comes to e-commerce. And mm. you know, it is very, it's, you know, it can, can be more simple to use and people are more accustomed to using it. 
which is why they might choose to not go through other marketplaces. But what yeah, I'd yeah. say is that the opportunity is definitely there. No, that's good. You're starting to convert me. I like it. Um, <laughs> the uh, You talked about the, the lower competition in comparison to America. Uh, do you have any insight on that? Because that was my thought on with Brexit and all these changes that it might stop people selling in Europe and the competition might even decrease. Is that a thing or is that is that a myth itself? Or how, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a good point, actually. And some of the recent changes that have been brought into effect on the 1st of July in, in Europe have actually meant that previously in, in Europe, it was notoriously a marketplace that non-compliant sellers could sell in through bypass or bypassing like general rules and regulations um, without being pulled up on it. Uh, and, and quite simply, some of the rules that have been introduced have meant that that can no longer take place. So mm -hmm. I'd say, first of all, you've got these new rules that were meant to not only decrease the amount of um, unaccounted VAT for the authorities, but also level the playing field for a lot of people, because now mm -hmm. these non-compliant sellers can no longer operate in Europe without having compliance in place. So it's, it's, yeah. you know, instantly, a lot of non-compliant sellers are pulling out. At the same time, you do have compliant and, and, and legitimate sellers, sorry, who um, they're like the, the legitimate sellers, they're looking at the marketplace and thinking, okay, there are all of these additional costs and complexities to running my business, which I never used to have to think about. Um, and, and quite simply, you know, a lot of sellers, they just don't want the, the aggro or the stress. Mm -hmm of yeah, yeah, yeah. additional complexity and they want they want mm -hmm. to keep things simple so i have seen yeah. firsthand quite a few sellers who previously were trading in europe and actually doing really well in europe just saying you know i, I can't tolerate this any longer these new rules and regulations have been yeah. building up over the last few years um you know I've, I've reached a point now where i've had enough and i'm going to decide to exit the, the european marketplace so that gives yeah, yeah. birth to even more opportunity for those who are willing to mm -hmm. persist um, and, and sort of bypass the new regulations that have been put put in place. Do you have um, sort of any recommended like thresholds that you work by where you would say to someone, you know, if you're doing X amount of revenue or sales in one place, it might be worth expanding into Europe or, or you need to hit certain revenue in Europe to make it worthwhile? Because obviously you mentioned compliance, which comes with fees. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, w I wouldn't say there's a, a general threshold. And I, I think the reason for that is because when we advise and, and guide clients on their expansion path we see so many different circumstances and mm. that there's no one fits all solution when it comes to expansion i think you know d different businesses have different models and they have yeah. different objectives so i'd say that you know typically what, what's quite nice about e-commerce and different marketplaces is that although each marketplace is going to be a bit different um, you know, in, in Europe is a prime example because each different country has its own laws, regulations, languages, mm. paperwork, etc. Um, but, but it's funny because quite frequently you see that the top categories in one marketplace are, um, you know, relatable in the next marketplace. So typically sure. where, when people say, for example, hypothetically looking at a UK seller um, that sells fitness items and fashion items in the UK market, uh, that they might be thinking, oh, well, you know, my, my goods are very desirable here. There's a lot of demand in the market for them, but I'm not mm. too sure what, how the, the European consumer might react. 
Um, what, what I've seen firsthand is on a lot of occasions, actually, you know, people don't even need to grow the amount of SKUs that they're selling. They can simply continue with yeah. the categories that are you know, most prevalent in most marketplaces um, and replicate the success that they've had in the marketplace before expanding. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. You talked about compliance, uh, the need for compliance. Uh, obviously, there's VAT compliance, but uh, are you referring also to law changes with, with product compliance, uh, packaging compliance, anything like that? Or are you more talking about the VAT side? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of break compliance up into four sort of subsections. I'd say that, mm-hmm. you know, VAT compliance is fundamental. And also now, when, when I say that, I'm also talking about OSS and IOSS because those yes, need to be considered yep. in certain scenarios as well. Um, I'd also say, you know, product compliance is a big one. Um, I think what one area of product compliance that people will be most familiar with is CE marked goods in Europe. So a yep. CE marked product essentially shows that um, the, the products passed the, the European health, safety and environmental regulations. So it's, it's mm-hmm. sort of deemed to be a suitable product for purchase. And hopefully you know, there, there won't be any issues with that product. Um, yeah. What overseas sellers now require for CE marked goods in Europe is what's called a responsible person. So mm-hmm. because overseas sellers are based outside of Europe, European authorities require there to be a local presence within Europe that if trading standards did for any reason want to go and inspect the product because there'd been an issue or a problem or a situation, they could go to somewhere within Europe rather than having to track down a seller from Australia, for example, which would be very difficult. Mm-hmm. So product compliance is growing. Um, to, to be completely honest, you know, there, there probably is going to be more regulations introduced over the next 12 months with product compliance mm-hmm. i really wouldn't be surprised yeah. so i'd say it's a growing area and i think you know that that is not really a bad thing because it's ensuring mm-hmm. that the products that are on the marketplace are safe for consumption um, so I, I think you know there are lots of service providers out there of ask work with with a partner of ours who are very you know we have a very long-term relationship um, who help with things like storage fulfillment 3pl and also product compliance in the uk and eu Mm -hmm. so we work very closely with them and and you know the relationship has sort of flourished even more over the last six months where this responsible person has been a requirement yeah so that's again something that you'd be able to help with responsible person yeah yeah not in-house but um yeah our partners we work very closely with and have done for a number of years so yeah we'd be more than happy to to refer in cases where we, we can't help ourselves yeah, great. Uh, and just to clarify on that, did, so you say that they would need to have uh, like a unit of each product that you're selling on hand? Yeah, so that they'd keep a sample of the product in, oh, like, wow, okay. in like a, let's just say, for example, in our case, in our partner's case, it would be stored in one of our partner's warehouses in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned, Piers, a moment ago about OSS and IOSS. Can you just, for anybody that's listening, uh, doesn't have a clue what those terms mean, just gives a very brief description of those? Yes, yes. So OSS is One Stop Shop, which is an extension of the mini One Stop Shop introduced in 2015. IOSS is Import One Stop Shop. So both OSS and IOSS were introduced from the 1st of July 2021. And what it's been introduced to do is essentially to report any distant sales that either are made within Europe from one country to another. 
or from outside of the EU into the EU. So in this case, um, I think it's just worth breaking it down in, into sort of a couple of case studies because whether or not a business requires registration for OSS or IOSS will depend on their model. And typically when it comes to selling on Amazon, uh, if you're an overseas entity, so say for example, a UK or a US or, or an Australian business that sells in Europe, but only through Amazon or any other electronic interface that's deemed as an OMP, then actually you, you wouldn't need to register for OSS or IOSS probably. And the reason for that is because when it comes to OSS, although what you'll have through Amazon is cross-border transactions, um, you know, m most people are well-versed with Amazon's distribution channels in the fact that they can store your inventory in one country, but a consumer in another country could purchase it. Um, but one of the main considerations with OSS is whether or not an OMP is involved in the facilitation of the sale. So if the OMP is involved, then it's actually now the OMP's responsibility to collect and remit the VAT. And they would have to include that transaction on their own OSS return. So you've had OSS introduced to kind of streamline the process of collecting and remitting VAT. And then you've also got this additional level of OMP responsibility that's been brought in to streamline it even further. So for a lot of sellers from outside of Europe that are trading only through Amazon, it's a really good thing. And another couple of things when considering OSS for your business, you're going to have to think about things like where the products are stored, um, what value are the consignments, whether the OMP is responsible, um, and whether or not the goods are already in Europe or coming in from outside of Europe. I'd say with OSS, there is a bit of a misconception. Uh, it's probably just worth me covering, um, again, relating to the case that we just discussed. A lot, a lot of sellers that I've spoken to seem to believe that because they're trading through Amazon and Amazon now has this OMP responsibility where they're collecting, remitting and um, reporting through their one-stop shop return, that the seller no longer has any VAT reporting obligations. Um, qu quite simply, that isn't right. Um, when it comes to VAT in Europe, the main trigger still remains the same. And that's if you're storing your physical inventory in a country, then you still need to have a VAT number and do domestic filings in that particular country. Yeah. So if we break that down into Amazon terms, um, you know, if you are storing your goods in a German fulfillment center and Amazon is making or, or, you know, you're having consumers from other countries purchasing goods from Germany, but they're traveling into other countries, then yes, those distant sales, they will go on Amazon's OSS return. However, for any sales that are made from the German fulfillment center to German customers, they would go on your domestic VAT return as normal. So the VAT requirement still remains the same, as does Avastic's responsibility to file for you. So gotcha. to, just sort of to make that clear. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Good overall summary. And uh, I'm sure uh, it's like anything, you know, this would be something that people would need to look into a lot and, and seek expert advice on. But it's just good to have a bit of an overview so people know. I know when we were first told about it um, with some aspects of the business, I'm like, is this, is this for real? Or is this just another way to, you know, get us to pay some more money? But it's it's like a legit compliance aspect. So, um, yeah. so that's good. good no, definitely. And then I say as well, Ben, like if, if anyone does have any questions uh, over whether or not their business in particular needs to integrate 
great OSS or IOSS, mm. then um, I'm, I'm more than happy to have a conversation uh, completely free of charge. We can do a, a 30 minute consultation to talk about the business mm. model and whether or not your business might benefit from having that. Um, integrated uh, as a solution yeah that'd be great yeah obviously we'll leave um, all the details of how to contact you in the show notes etc and come back to that at the end as well um, that'd be great thank you for that <clears throat> um, you're talking about you know potentially in one country in Germany uh, would you say that's like the best route to, to if someone wanted to start selling in Europe that's currently you know UK America Australia wherever is the best route to, to set up VAT everything in one country and fulfill EFN to the others or do you recommend going blitzing it in all of them what's your recommended strategy yeah again it depends on the model i mean to be honest in an ideal world with with amazon um i i really do believe that having the sort of spread of countries is hugely advantageous and the reason for that is because the more countries you have a vat registration in and amazon storing your stock the more countries you have prime eligibility in Mm -hmm. So in Europe, you've got 420 million potential consumers. Um, let's say, for example, you decide to launch only in Germany. Well, only 80 million of those consumers are going to be able to access your products uh, within 24 hours. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm very guilty of it. We live in an era where people want things very quickly. And yeah. to be honest, when, when I'm doing some shopping on a platform like Amazon, if I can see a very similar product available to me within 24 hours against a yeah. product that's even slightly cheaper that might take a week to get to me, it's very likely that I'm gonna go for the product that gets to me quickest. So I, yeah. I see the real benefit of having the spread of countries with Amazon coming in the form of prime delivery. But what yeah. sellers will also see is that their fulfillment will be a lot cheaper because the products yeah. are actually stored closer to the final consumer as well. Yeah. Um, that, that's not to say that that's the best approach for everyone, though. And to be honest, you know, people run very successful EFN, as it used to be called, businesses where they yeah. can just store their stock in one country and have Amazon delivered domestically under prime delivery and then to yeah. other countries just as standard delivery. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, if, if you're going to go with the EFN approach, my suggestion in most cases is to go firstly with the UK as its own separate marketplace and then secondly with Germany and the reason for that is because Germany and the UK combined they have about 300 billion turnover on e-commerce platforms mm -hmm. so it amounts to about half of Europe's total e-commerce turnover um, Germany is also very strategically located in the center of Europe it's got good yeah. importation options it neighbors with nine other European countries it has a very high GDP and internet penetration and also a good amount of population. So in mm -hmm. terms of a European marketplace, um, as kind of like the driving force, I'd say that Germany is typically people's most popular option when it comes to the first marketplace. Yeah, like anything, there's going to be some savings in, in bulk if you were to register in all of that. I know there's discounts if you register in all of them and, you know, uh, compliance costs will, will reduce per marketplace if you register in more. Is that is that correct or have I got that wrong? Yeah, def definitely. Um, so our, our compliance costs, just sort of to, to give you a quick summary, mm. we, we do like a bundle for pan-EU countries and it's more of an incentive to help people expand into multiple marketplaces at once. But say yeah. we went for one European pan-EU country, then our compliance costs would be £1,200 per annum. 
Um, if you went for all six countries, then it would be 4,540, which equates to about yeah. 750 pounds per country per annum. So it's about 450 yeah. pounds per country saving if you go with all six. Um, yeah. And what, what I'd also say is that if you are going to go for all six, then you'll you probably need our assistance in other areas yeah. such as customs, shipping. Mm. Uh, we can also sort of facilitate FX payments. We have partners that can help with translations. Um, mm. And if we are doing bundle deals where we're assisting uh, across a, a whole host of considerations, then we can look at doing yeah. discounted prices on other services as well. So, so what is that compliance um, package that you mentioned there? What, what does that cover? That's uh, just VAT filing or what else does it cover? Yeah, I mean, put, put simply VAT filing. So as yeah. soon as you become VAT registered, you will need to start filing and you'll need to keep mm -hmm. up your filings in line with that country's legislation. Um, Germany yeah. and France, for example, done monthly, but UK is done quarterly. So what, what we provide as our service is a bit different to a lot of other providers. Uh, most providers in this space, they offer predominantly a tax software based solution, which is all run through um, sort of IT software. And there's no real human interaction or physical interaction, yeah. which yeah. my like the consensus I get from a lot of sellers is that they can find it quite frustrating at times because Tax is complex and different languages are complex. And, and to be honest, the documentation processes are complex. And if you're working with a tax software, it can be quite hard to dilute the information that you're receiving and really make sense sure. of it. So what, what we provide as well as having our own internal tax software for any client that comes on board is they'll have a dedicated VAT consultant that is their point of contact for anything relating to European VAT. So yeah. by having that dedicated VAT consultant, we can provide free unlimited consultation throughout the contract. So if the client ever has any questions, they can give us a call. Um, all of our emails are typically responded to within 24 hours as well. And obviously it includes all of the preparations and submissions of the VAT filings itself, plus all of the other European um, reporting responsibilities. Yeah, that's fantastic. And do you still do, I know at times Amazon have done different promotions about the, the setup, first six months, 12 months, that kind of thing. Is that still a thing or does it not happen anymore? Yeah, I mean, I've asked continue to work closely with Amazon. Um, we have partnered with Amazon since 2013 now and we've run regular promotions together. So you, you pointed yeah. out, you know, that the most common promotion, which is the VAT services promotion. At the moment, we are on Amazon VAT services as an approved provider. It's mm -hmm. a very different service to our core service in the fact that ultimately it's, it's Amazon's VAT services and they're just using Avask as sort of the back end filing party. Okay. So gotcha. whilst you, you know, benefit from a lower price, you don't have that same level of service um, because gotcha. if you do have any questions, it would have to go through the seller central account. It would be answered oh via FAQ. That's, that's not worth it then. No. <laughs> so you, you sold me already. I'll pay any money I can to just to avoid that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our answers are based on FAQs, and um, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, you know, a, a lot of sellers sort of vent their frustrations to me about their experiences yeah. with um, sort of Amazon's customer services at, at times. And yeah. to be honest, I, I think the reason for that is because 
yeah, Amazon is a you know, conglomerate business. It's it's humongous. Yeah, quite, yeah. quite simply, you know, they don't have the manpower to be able to cater for every single client on a bespoke basis. So yeah. obviously they, they have to use technology and FAQ answers in this sort of scenario. But um, I'd, say, I'd say that those are the main differences is that Amazon VAT services is a tax software based solution. Avast core services yeah. is a consultancy led approach to VAT filings. You say contact seller central. I say, where do I sign up? That's uh, a great benefit. So anyway, moving, moving on. Um, no, that's good. That's good. You, you talked obviously about compliance, uh, VAT, et cetera. Uh, what about, what about shipping? Has that sort of changed? Uh, obviously Brexit has, has made some changes there. Can you give us a bit of a summary on that? Yeah, definitely. So shipping has been sort of, I'd say the biggest barrier, um, biggest obstacle to people sort of continuing business in Europe or starting business in Europe. Um, yeah. to, to be honest, it was never looking great considering the fact that we didn't reach a trade agreement until sort of the, the final hour before Brexit actually mm. took place. So I think the agreement mm. was made on, on the night before Christmas um, and then the, the formal papers were released literally a couple of days before the 1st of January. So it gave businesses zero or, or you know, little time to prepare for what a hard border meant between the UK and the EU. And to yeah. be honest, what, what I saw firsthand, um, a, a lot of providers within the shipping space or custom space didn't completely understand what the new requirements really meant for their business as well, which is why in January, February, you saw those you know astronomical uh, return rates from UK to Europe of 30, 40% because documents were missing or documents were being filled out incorrectly. Um, things were being returned, things were, were not making it through the border. So i say that the first quarter, maybe second quarter as well, was a really tough time with, with shipping and customs into Europe. I'd say that that was also heightened by the issue with shipping that was caused at the start of COVID when consumer yeah. demand dropped off for like general retailers like Walmart and Nike. Um, and because of that, lots of the, the shipping fleets put their fleets into idle and lots of containers started getting stored around the world. Um, and after a couple of months, people like us started getting bored of our new working arrangements and working from home and not being able to go out. And we reverted to going digital and buying things online. And that led to a big spike in consumerism online, which is why we saw yeah. that massive boom in e-commerce last year but because the ships were in idle and the containers weren't available um the <laughs> basically companies didn't have the fleets available to manage the demand that was coming in so it sort of mm -hmm. gave the shipping companies free reign over their freight rates and container rates yeah. which is why you saw mm -hmm. rates going up in some cases by like a thousand percent i'm not even joking yeah. um you know some yeah, sellers yeah, said yeah. that they used to be able to send a container from china to the uk or europe for two thousand and now it was costing twenty thousand so yes. you've got the glory big, big big increases in shipping costs plus changes at the customs border i would say that things have since improved considerably um, i'm seeing germany netherlands as being the best options, to be honest, to ship into if you're shipping to Amazon. And our customs and trade team have services that are, are available 
to assist as the customs representative in that case. Um, yep. We're also working with a wider network of partners within the shipping industry that actually do the transportation of goods. So we, we have lots of different transport agents that we work alongside as the representatives, about 40 to 50, I think we're working with now. So if people are struggling with the concept of getting their goods into Europe, then you know do, do reach out to us and we'll be able to sort of walk you through how our service works and also put you in touch with potentially some of our partners that you can discuss transportation with. Mm. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, no, that's really good. This is really uh, informative, Piers. I feel like I could sit here and ask you questions about this all day, but I know you've uh, <laughs> you're a busy man, so I just uh, try to look towards sort of wrapping it up. But just we covered a lot of compliance issues. Let's just finish just from a couple of minutes, just talking about uh, strategic issues. You know, people that are selling maybe now in the US or the UK. Uh, is it a case of uh, a seller can just easily duplicate what they're doing? Well, it's Amazon here. It'll be like Amazon there. Can they just copy and paste into Europe? Like, well, how, how does it work strategically? Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially the, the platform sort of remains intact in the fact that mm -hmm. Seller Central, what, what you see is quite consistent in different marketplaces. So yep. sellers will have to go through the same process of registering um, a Seller Central account they'll have to go through the same process when it comes to setting up a new marketplace. And they'll have to go through the same process when it comes to uploading the documents that are required in those marketplaces. So actually the setup on Amazon's side is not the complex area, I believe, to expanding. I think the, the complexities lie in things like your compliance, your, your sort of launch strategy, whether or not you want to look at storage facilities outside of Amazon, like 3PL, you might want to look at like promoting your brand in Europe. So maybe you want to look at PPC advertising, promotions, social media, um, you might want to look at your own website. And, and eventually, once you've grown to a point where you, you believe might be right, you might even want to look at descaling your business or, or exiting or, or starting mm -hmm. up a new project. So I don't think when entering a new marketplace, Amazon's the issue because people who have used Amazon in one country will be familiar with the platform in others. I think it's the, the wider considerations that people need to think about when, when looking to expand. And in terms of uh, language, language barriers, multilingual listings, multilingual customer service, do you, mm. do you find sellers kind of stumble there or, or do you, uh, have they found it particularly easy? How have you found that? Yeah, I mean, like languages is a bit of a tricky one in Europe compared to the likes of the US or the UK. Yeah, um, yeah Amazon will translate for you in terms of the listings. But what you might have seen, for example, uh, in Sweden, where when Amazon <laughs> was doing the, uh, the, the translation is that some of the translations were, were tad off what they should have been. Oh, so um, <laughs> you, you, you probably do, if, you, if you're expanding into new markets, you, you want to work with someone who understands the local language yes, and sure. uh, understands what keywords are going to be effective, etc. So that yeah, there are sure. some really good companies in the market that can help optimize your listings and help with the translations. Um, well, yeah, again, we have a partner that we work with that we can introduce. Um, so I'd be happy to make any introductions, but I'd say it is vital, really, if you want your product to be visible and to succeed, to have yeah. 
you know language that makes sense to the locals in that country yeah for sure and the, i think the worst mistake sellers can make is just use google translate because a it's not from a, a local and b like you said keyword research is just so important as well yeah and people underestimate the importance of that so yeah absolutely i mean with with the launching a new strategy uh launching a new marketplace sorry i'd say that the the listings and also the translations are two mm. of the most important components um i'd also say just on that quickly if we've got time just about payment yeah, yeah, yeah. as well um yeah. quite a few sellers that i've spoken to in the past have, have just sort of had a standard bank account and had amazon doing their currency conversion back to that bank account um you know quite simply by using uh, an fx provider who can facilitate platform payments through an interface um, they can receive funds they can consolidate funds under one platform and they offer much much lower conversion rates to the likes of Amazon. So a, yeah. a vast partner with a company called OFX, which are market leading, mm-hmm. uh, that they're a market leading FX company in the space. And um, yeah. we partner with them basically to uh, give our clients access to favorable conversion rates. Um, and, yeah. and that can honestly save, I'd say, you know, up, up to 5% on profit margins when it comes to conversion. So yeah, it, well, it, I thought it was two or 3%, but that's huge. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be up to 5% in some cases. Wow. If, you're, if you're using Amazon and sort of a standard building society account, um, I'd say, you know, definitely reconsider your options or at least, you know, yeah, do yeah. some research and look into maybe a, a couple of, of rates that um, some of these e-money institutions can offer. Yeah, no, great tips, great tips. Uh, final thing, sorry, <laughs> another another question, but you just mentioned listings and uh, images. It's always been the issue where if you try and add uh, local language to an image, it, tra- it changes the image across the world. Uh, have you found any solutions to that, or do you know any more about that at all? Not too sure personally on the listing side of things. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's an area that I, I don't have a great deal of expertise in. Um, we, no, we, it's, it's fine, it's just... Yeah, again, we we work with some companies that can help with things like troubleshooting problems, listings, marketplace, diversification, optimization. So, um, you know, we, we, again, as I said, if there's something that we can't help with, our wider network of professional partners would, you know, be delighted to have an introduction and, and we're more than happy to introduce on the basis that that's the best thing for the client. No, that's good. It's just always been one of my bugbears. I remember spending, the first time I ever sold a product in Europe, spending all this time getting my images translated, my infographics all translated, all edited in, and then I changed it in Italy and all of a sudden in England, my images are in Italian. I'm like, oh no, Yeah, not, not, not what the English consumer wants to see. What does that mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, exactly. yeah, everyone has to learn our language. No, de- definitely. Well, we're, we're fortunate in that regard. Um, just, just quickly, if, if anyone is interested in using our VAT services, uh, anyone that's listened to this episode would be happy to, yeah. to offer 50% off any initial registrations. Um, and also we can include the ERI number as part of that as well. So, um, yeah, anyone that has listened today is is eligible for that. So please feel free to reach out and I'll be happy to sort of guide you as to to the process that we need to follow. Yeah, fantastic. That was going to be my final question. How can can people reach out to you to get that? Well, uh, obviously, we'll leave leave the details in the show notes, but they can contact you directly or is there a website they can go to? What's the best option? Yeah, best option is through our inquiries mailbox. So it's just inquiries at avastgroup.com. 
um, yeah. that will come directly through to uh, the, the team in general. So yeah. you know, the, the, the BDO team in the UK, where we work on an international basis. So the company yeah. together speaks over 22 languages now. Um, so, you know, even if it's not a UK inquiry, if it is UK, you'll be speaking to probably myself, but if it's, uh, you know, if it's another language you need assistance in, then we have people that can help too. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I'm sure plenty of people will do that because that's a very, very generous offer and we, uh, yeah, we appreciate that a lot. And, uh, yeah, thank you, Piers, for coming on. I really appreciate your time. And I feel like there's uh, so much insight there. Lots of questions I could keep asking you all day, but I know you're a busy man, so I'll let you go. But, uh, yeah, thanks so much, Piers, for coming on. Really appreciate it. No worries. Maybe we'll have to do round two at some point, Ben. <laughs> all the questions that get unanswered, we'll do in round two. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you very much. Wow, we what an episode that was diving deep into the realms of European selling. I don't know about you, but I'm inspired to push more into Europe, do some great things out there. Seems like some incredible opportunities that are really untapped right now. So make sure you do take up peers on his offer, reach out, take them up on their generous offer of 50% off registration for VAT compliance in those different marketplaces. You can grab all of the information talked about in this episode in the show notes below the description if you're watching on YouTube. And again, as always, remember, if you do like these episodes, if you like the quality of the guests, if you want us to keep uh, that up and keep improving on what we're doing as a podcast, please do uh, remember to leave a review on the different podcast platforms you're listening on or subscribe on YouTube so you get notified when the next episode goes live we'll be back next week with another great episode where i'm sitting down with some brand builders talking about shop and how we can continue to grow in this space it's an exciting time to be in e-commerce thank you for being part of the journey thank you for being part of the community and i'll see you in the next episode real soon